Man, I'm trying to figure out how I can incorporate this kazoo into my message. That would be awesome. Um, so, man, I love this place, and I love the people here. And, yeah, yeah, give it a round of applause. All right, that was me. <laughs> yeah. And if you can't tell, we're more of a family than community even. And we're a place where we build people up and send them out. And if you stick along long enough, you'll see that on Thursday nights and small groups and DNA and leadership, we train and equip people just to, to manage life better and to be more like Jesus. So when different seasons of life come, different storms you know, rage in your life, that you'll know how to navigate them well. Because sometimes in life it can feel like you're just walking in a fog. Or even if you've, been, if you've driven ever and you've like driven into a, a thick patch of fog, you just get disoriented, you aren't quite sure where you're going. Um, and sometimes it's patchy, like you'll feel like you're getting through it and then you hit another wall of fog. And um, that's kind of how my life has been the last, the last couple months. It's just been um, foggy in some ways and just working to navigate through it. Um, on, uh, in February, on February 17th, around 7 a.m., I got a call from my dad that um, my aunt had been in a terrible car accident and was currently unconscious in ICU. And, uh, and in that moment, it was just, man, it was shocking. Um, you're feeling all kinds of emotions in that moment. So Mike came and, um, into the room, and we went and picked a, packed a bag and then drove you know, a couple hours straight to the hospital to go visit them. And we were in the hospital for a good 45 days, um, bedside with my aunt until she ended up passing on, on April 1st. And it was an incredibly painful time. It was a trying time. It was a growing time. It was a time of grieving. And it was a, it was a real time to see what I was made of and to see whose I was and to demonstrate whose I was. And today I'm just going to, or tonight, I'm just going to share some of the things that I've learned through that process through grieving and through growing, and, um, and kind of what I've experienced um, the last couple of months. Oftentimes when I experience death or any kind of a tragedy, it, it oftentimes um, causes me to reflect. And I do a lot of reflection and introspection, so I'm thinking back of times and, and kind of seeing, evaluating where I'm at with my heart and with God and just in my life. And death oftentimes will give me a sense of urgency to live bigger and live bolder and live uh, more intentionally. And, you know, as I've been grieving, I wasn't exactly sure initially what to expect. So, you know, they talk about, um, you know, the different phases of grieving and the different stages that you go through. So I looked it up one day just to see, because I was curious kind of what to anticipate through the different phases. And, um, and I found a list, and it was um, kind of what the world says as the stages of grieving. Our stage one, you're oftentimes going through denial and isolation. Stage two is anger. Stage three is bargaining. Stage four is depression. And stage five, five is acceptance. And I thought, I don't know, I just felt like that list was so lame. I knew for me, like, I didn't want to go through, not that I didn't want to go through, but I didn't picture myself isolating or going into any kind of deep depression. And acceptance just seemed so didn't seem very victorious to me, and it seemed just so anticlimactic to such a traumatic time. So I started looking, 
And um, because I knew that you know, suffering and pain, you can either manage through it really well or you can manage through it really poorly. And as Christians, a lot of times we have a lot of people that are onlookers through different phases of our lives. And oftentimes when we're going through something bad, because people want to see how are they going to react, what are they going to do? And, you know, I really wanted to set a really good example for my family through this time. And Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And that can be really encouraging and can be really true, as long as you're managing through the sufferings well. Because pain and suffering, you can either let it make you better or you can let it make you bitter. And I definitely wanted to be on the side of making me better. So I started looking up, I wasn't satisfied with the other stages of grieving, so I started looking, just Googling like other options. I'm like, there's gotta be some other way to go about this. So, and I came across a list that actually Rick Warren had put out. And if you guys aren't familiar with him, he is a pastor um, of Saddleback Church in Southern California. And he had a child who, um, who suffered with mental illness for a really long time. And sadly and tragically uh, ended up committing suicide. And so he is a man who knows a great deal about pain and suffering and, and getting through it, navigating through it. And so he put out a list that I found um, gave a lot more room for ending up on the other side victorious. So I wanted to share part of it with you guys or go through it with you guys so you can know what to anticipate when those come and to help um, you become victorious when hard times come. Because it's not, we, can't, we don't live in a world where hard times aren't gonna come, but they eventually will. Someone will pass away, um, a job might get lost, a car might get wrecked, whatever it might be, and we wanna be victorious on the other end. So his first stage is shock. Regardless what, how much you prepare, whatever you do, um, we never can be fully ready for some kind of tragedy. We never can be fully, fully there to know. Even if your car is giving you symptoms and it might die, you're never quite ready. You're on the middle of freeway when it happens. No matter if you know maybe there's an illness that's occurred, you're never ready for that last moment, that last breath. Um, through the 45 days that we were in the hospital, the doctors encouraged us to say goodbye at least four or five times. And the last time, we were, we were still not ready. So in shock, you're, in a daze, you, you don't believe what's going on. Phase two is sorrow. Sorrow is oftentimes when we're feeling more of the anger and the sadness and the more like deep sadness feelings. And it's actually, sadness and, and sorrow is actually a godly emotion. If you guys know the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept. So it's okay. It's a, it's a godly emotion, and it needs to happen through the grieving process. The third stage is struggle. So this is usually when we're like, why me? Why God? Why this? Why now? Why them or not me? Why me and not them? You know, you're struggling, you're battling, you're wrestling with God, you're wrestling with yourself. And that's okay, too, because, you know, you're not always going to get all, all the answers. And that's okay. Jesus even questioned... In Matthew 27, 46, he says, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why? Yearning, looking for an answer. The fourth stage is surrender. Surrender is the stage where we seek peace. 
where we can finally submit our questions and release them and surrender them to God. Stage five is sanctification. So in his list, he's referring to this as becoming more and more like Jesus. That we're able to use our pain and our tragedy and our sorrow to change us and morph us and become better, not bitter. And stage six is service. So this is basically where you start using your pain for good. You start using the tests in your life to become a testimony to share with others and encourage others on. So these phases, they don't always go in this order. I know for me, I cycle through them. I mean, I'm still cycling through them. Sometimes you go in them in different orders. People stay in them for different lengths of time. And so in each of these stages for me, I've looked back and I've seen various things that I've reflected on um, and different um, things that I hope that can, we can help to encourage, I can help to encourage you guys. So in the first stage, first stage is shock. So when you're in shock, if a tragedy happens, it's crazy. It's like time stands still and you think through so many moments, so many situations in your life in just an instant. Uh, one example of this is when I was in college, I got a call from my mom and she was really upset. She was like, Ash, I just got something in the mail that says you have a worn out for your rest. What the heck have you been doing in Sacramento? And so I just started dating a guy, which is, this is an awesome first date opportunity. Um, I was like, okay, well, will you come with me down to the courthouse? I need to see why I have a warrant out for my arrest. I swear I'm not a criminal. And so we go down there, and we show up, and I walk in. They have a metal detector that you have to go through, and there's a couple officers standing there. And I walk in and say, hi, my name's Ashley. I have a warrant out for my arrest. And the guy immediately says, up against the wall, hands behind your back. <laughs> and I stood there, and within probably four seconds of time, I pictured my parents' faces, my professors' faces, my college coaches' faces, and my whole life, I'm like, it's over. I'm never going to get married. I'm going to be stuck in jail forever. Like, everything goes through your mind, worst case scenario. And when I got the call from my dad that morning, there were a million moments and memories that went through my mind. And I have a couple that I'm going to share with you. One of them was, a few years ago, um, I decided, for whatever reason that morning, I just felt a prompting, like I needed to go to our office early and pray over every seat, every desk, every computer um, in our office. So I went there and, and prayed. And later that day, our software got hacked. And someone had hacked in kind of the exterior of our software and said, you've been owned, or something like that. And so we were under the impression that all the credit cards in our software were, were all stolen, all the credit card data. So our office was like chaos that day, trying to figure out what it was, trying to rectify the issue, trying to make sure not everyone's cards were out being spent at Amazon.com or what have you. Um, and it turns out they weren't, didn't end up being stolen. It was kind of like a, someone was messing with us. And so I remember going home that night and thinking to myself, I am never doing that again. I am never, I, somehow the thought that I caused that terrible thing to happen with my prayers. And another situation that came to mind was a time that my husband Mike when in, he had a similar situation where he felt the prompting to go to his workplace early and pray over his job site. And he showed up there and prayed, and then later on that day, one of his workers ended up having a heart attack and died. And I just remember he called me and was just so beside himself in that moment. And then he had attacked him in a similar way. How in the, I'm never doing that again, sure, for sure. 
and I caused it somehow. And the crazy thing is, is the morning that I got the call from my dad, I was sitting in my office, listening to worship music, and praying for my family. Midstream, in prayer, my phone rings, and I get the call. In that moment, I didn't think to myself, why me, God? Why did I cause this? You know, what's going on here? I'm never doing this again. And I think there were a couple reasons for that. One, I had matured, you know, in my, in my faith. And two, I knew it was one of those moments where I needed to stand. Where I needed to stand strong in my beliefs. I needed to stand strong in my faith. And I needed to show the enemy that he couldn't um, mess with me anymore. You see, because the enemy will try to attack your circumstances, but really he's just after your confidence and your focus. So even though he was attempting to, you know, attack my circumstances, I was not about to let him steal my confidence and my focus. Because if you think about it, think of any time when you ever lose your confidence. Picture it. If it's, maybe I'm not pretty enough, maybe I'm not fit enough, whatever it is. I'm not praying right. I'm causing all these terrible things. Your focus immediately goes from God to yourself. Me, 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 I did this, I don't look this way, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. So if the enemy can rattle you to lose your confidence for just a second, he can get your focus to shift, and then he's got you in his clutches in a sense. So in that moment, I fought back. I chose to stand. And I fought back with action and with truth. I started just proclaiming things in my prayers, I just went right back to praying. I didn't miss a beat. I'm bold as a lion and more than a conqueror. I'm summoned by name and I am his. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly realms. I just started proclaiming all of these truths. And if you guys want a really cool tool to help you do that, I don't know if you guys ever got the I am poster, but it helps you just, you can look at it and just memorize all of those um, claims of who you are. And in the moment of crisis, I wasn't sitting there wondering who I am or allowing the enemy to question, you know, cause me to question who I was. I was telling him who I was. I had studied for this test, and I was ready and prepared to ace it. So I ask you, if crisis or tragedy were to break out in your life, are you prepared? Are you confident in who you are in Christ? Are you confident in your identity? If not, I encourage you to seek that out and to just write it on your heart so in those moments you can respond and stand. The next phase that I experienced was sorrow and struggle. So for me, they kind of like blend together because sometimes it's you're sad and then you're questioning why and then they kind of like trigger each other. You're sad because you're not getting answers. See, I have, um, I've had quite a few people, close family and friends, pass away in my life, but a lot of them occurred before I was saved. And the ones that have passed since, you know, I typically didn't question much if they loved Jesus. But with my aunt, I wasn't, I wasn't confident that she was saved. And it was really the first time in my life that I ever really gave any thought to hell 
and thought that through. I mean, we talk about it here, but we don't really dive into it too much because we're more focused on where we're going and where we want people to go than to be focused on the fear of hell. But for the first time, it caused me to think. Because my aunt is someone I've prayed for a ton. And a lot of you actually in here over the years have prayed a lot with me for her. Praying that she'd get saved. Praying that she could break certain strongholds that have kept her in bondage. Just like people in your lives, I'm sure there's people that you constantly are contending for and praying for. You see, I had the opportunity a number of years back to pray with her. I can remember like it was yesterday. It was that tender moment where we were just talking. To, she started getting curious about what was going on here and about Jesus. So I started telling her. And I'd given her a Bible and like highlighted all these verses. I was like, this is the moment. You know, your heart starts racing because you know something big is about to happen. And I let the moment pass. And I didn't end up praying. And that certain situation haunted me. Thank you for a really long time. You see, because the enemy, he, can, he can't read your mind, but he can read your actions. So if he can get you with something once, he's going to keep trying to throw that to you every time come, you know, in the future. It's just like a pitcher. If the pitcher knows you can't hit a fastball inside, what pitch do you think you're going to get every time you're up to bat? A fast pitch inside. And in that situation, the enemy got me. He caused me to question myself for a second, which took my focus off God and back onto me. What if I don't pray it perfectly? What if I pray it and then I don't follow up with her and she hates Jesus? What if it gets awkward and she doesn't want to talk to me ever again? What if, what if you know, all these what ifs. And looking back, it's like, who cares? What, if, what would have I had to lose at this point? And in that moment, I lost my confidence. God put a lob ball right down the plate, and I let it go by. And I realized, too, I started thinking back, like, what was it about prayer that the enemy used against me all those times for so long? And I think it was the fact that any other situation in life, we usually have a really good barometer of where we're at. Whether it's school, you have grades. If it's sports, you have statistics. You know, other things, there's always, like, some kind of a number or some kind of a grade associated with what you're doing. And I think prayer was just so abstract that it freaked me out that I didn't know exactly how I was doing. Because what do you do at the end of prayer? Was that as good for you as it was for me? Because, I mean, that was pretty good, I, you know? And, um, and I think that's, the enemy used that to, to scare me as like a, a fear tactic. And another thing on that is, um, I think a lot of times in those moments, one of the biggest areas where we use excuses not to follow God's prompting is when we're controlled by the enemy or by a relationship. So sometimes in life, you know, you're feeling a prompting to do something, to say something, and you just feel it so true inside you, and you choose not to. And sometimes it's the enemy, but sometimes you're being controlled by a relationship. So sometimes there have been times where I've been prompted to say something and do something, but I'm scared of how they're going to react. Like, if I need to feel like I kind of need to bring something up or call someone out on something, that they're going to freak out, you know, and then it might ruin our relationship. And I let the thought of them and the control that they have over our relationship prevent me from sharing what God's really prompting me to say to them. So there might be people in your life that you need to just act. 
I think sometimes we hesitate, and the second we hesitate or stutter step, the enemy's able to get into us and you know, get into our minds and kind of alter our focus. And um, just not to hesitate. Because sometimes people, we will finally say something, and they're going to respond in a way that makes us feel crazy. And that's, again, one of, the, one of the tactics of the enemy. You know, we might say something. For example, there was a time Eric Knopf texted me back when Mike and I were dating, and it was just out of the blue, what are you doing, <laughs> you know? And, um, and I think Waterbury's done it a number of times, too. And they always know, like, right the moment when you're like, dang it, why are they texting me now, you know? And, and there was a time he texted me and was asking questions, and I lied. I said we weren't together in that moment. And it ate me up inside. I ended up confessing and telling him that, um, that I lied. But my response easily could have made him feel like he was crazy. Sometimes people do that to us. I'll call someone out on something and they'll rise up and freak out and have all this uproar about it. And I'm like, man, I start questioning. Was I on point? Maybe I wasn't hearing from God. Maybe it's just in my head. You know, when you start, again, focus back on us. And we let it sometimes get to us and cause us not to rise up the next time. Mike and I recently watched um, the, uh, the movie called The Guardian. And if you guys ever, ever haven't seen it, it is about the Coast Guard. And it's with Ashton Kutcher and Kevin Costner. And Ashton Kutcher's like this up-and-coming Coast Guard guy. And Kevin Costner's like this legend who has the most saves and rescues of people on the ocean ever. And, um, and Ashton one day goes up to him and says, hey, I don't remember the guy's name, but what's your number? And Kevin Costner replies and he says, 22. And Ashton's like, wow, that's not very impressive. What's all the big, like, hee-ho about you? And, um, and he responded and said, I don't count my rescues, I count the people that I missed. And I was like, man, that is, he is such a downer, you know? And he, he was kind of like a downer character in the movie, like kind of low and whatever. Um, then I started thinking about it, and I was like, man, I am similar in some ways. Like, I look back, and when I reflect back, I think of, like, missed opportunities. You know, I don't think of all these great things that have gone on. Those are there, too. But when I can remember most vividly sometimes are the times that I dropped the ball. Like, I, I played softball probably my entire life growing up from little, not entire life, but up and through high school. And um, I played rec league, summer league, high school ball, all that stuff. I've probably been up to bat a million times. And the one time when I think back, it's a time that I struck out watching the ball go by. And like, if you know, that's like the cardinal sin in baseball or softball. And it's just another example of how like sometimes we look back and I think the reason we do that is because we try to avoid that pain. You know, so like thinking back on the time with my aunt, like how painful it was for me. You know, you want to look back and, and, you know, learn from that so you don't recreate the past and recreate certain mistakes and misses. And I think at times, in those types of situations, it's easier to believe there is a God than it is to believe in God. It's easier to believe there is a God than to believe all the things God has called in us and the things that he claims that we can do. 2 Timothy 1.14 says, Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Again, it's a lot easier to believe there is a God than to believe God's entrusted us 
with the king's keys to the kingdom. We recently hired um, Christina Fessy, if she's still here, at WebConnects. And she's been training and learning and growing in how to use our software and navigate our software. And we have this thing that's called um, live chat. So clients can chat in and talk to us and we can answer their questions super fast and give the most awesome customer support on the planet. And, um, and there's this thing in there where I can whisper answers to Christina. So if she's ever on a chat and isn't sure what's going on or isn't um, sure exactly where to direct them, I can whisper an answer. So even if she can't see me, like sometimes I'm in the other office, I'm on calls or whatever, but I can supervise her conversations with the clients and I can whisper in things that can help guide her. And I feel like in those moments, like we might feel lost or like God's not here right now, but he is. We just need to be aware and tuned in to when he's whispering to our spirit and whispering um, that guidance to us. The next step, step four, was surrender. And surrender is, is where you're seeking peace in the stages of grieving. I think a big misconception is that you can't have peace if you have pain. I'm here to tell you, you can have peace and still have pain. I've been experiencing the last, any of, anyone in here who's ever experienced a tragedy or a crisis knows that you can still have peace and have pain. The time when you don't have peace is when you're experiencing anxiety and worry and things like that. But you can have peace. But when watching someone take their last breaths, it's really painful. You can have peace, but sitting, picking out things for a funeral is really devastating. Fill in your blank. Whatever crisis or tragedy, tragedy you might have experienced in your life, whether it be losing a parent or losing a child, leaving a church, getting burned by a church, feeling as if you did, totaling your car. In those situations, you can still have pain, not getting accepted to school, not being able to pay a bill. You can have peace even though it hurts like crazy. See, because peace comes when we can submit the things that we can't change. When we can submit the things that we can't change is when peace starts coming. We can't change the past. We often can't change what happened. But we can change our mindset moving forward. We can change our attitude and help things to make us better, not bitter. Step five is sanctification. So this is where we're increasingly becoming more and more like Jesus. And it isn't always necessarily about adding to who we currently are, but simply revealing what's already within us. There was a time when, um, when Eric Knopf and I, we went to give a presentation of our new software. So we showed up and we were all ready because it was brand new and we were so excited of all the new features. And we show up and their internet was not working. And we're just so bummed, like, dang it, we've prepped this whole thing, super excited about it, and we get there, and we might not be able to show it. And so he says, Ash, why don't you just use the hotspot that's on your phone? And I was like, I have no clue what you're talking about. I don't have a hotspot on my phone. And he shows me, and apparently, just so you guys all know, if you have an iPhone, you have an instant hotspot in your phone. So you can just flip it on, and then you instantly can connect to, you know, devices to your phone. And so I think that is part of what's so important of living in community, 
living in places like this, because people are constantly calling out things that are inside of you, constantly identifying things that you might not even realize that you're walking around with. And making sure that you're living in the right community. A community like this where we're constantly growing and, and iron sharpens iron here. The last step was service. So this is where we take what we've learned and help others with it. God works things for good as long as we're also working through and working those things for good as well. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. So then, just as you receive Christ, Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Rooted in and built up in him. My, uh, my husband's gotten super into like gardening and, and doing all these things, vegetable gardens and stuff in our backyard this last year. So we've been learning a little bit like about roots and kind of how to nourish them and get them to grow deeper. And so we've learned that when you actually are growing plants, you need to water not every day, but every third day, because that causes the roots to go deep down into the soil so that they aren't shallow. And so last year, we were watering every day. So all of our roots were really, really shallow, and all of our plants were dying. And we couldn't not figure out why until Julie Betancourt let us in on some few tips. And, um, and so if you're just shallow, if you're scared to put roots, your roots are often and possibly going to get scorched by the changing seasons. So like for us in the spring, they were thriving, they were doing awesome, and the second that the sun started to get warmer, they were all dying off. And I think sometimes we're just, we're scared to put in roots because we're scared that we might have to uproot them at some point. We're scared um, of the commitment and what it means to dig deeper roots. And the fear is what keeps us from getting deeper into community, from getting involved, from making friends, from finding that community that's going to help call out the things in you that will help make you better. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Let me ask you, would you want to be comforted in times of crisis and tragedy? If so, you have to be able to be willing and brave to go through the mourning process. Because what does it say here? Who is it that, that's blessed? They. They are the ones who mourn. It takes a brave person to be willing to walk through the various phases of grief and being willing to face um, what's really going on in your life. Be able to let, allow yourself to feel the feelings that you're having. Being a Christian doesn't make life easier. It just helps us um, to make life better and to actually face what's in front of us. Because it isn't um, sorrow that's so scary. It isn't grief that's so scary. See, the Bible doesn't say mourn not. It doesn't say sorrow not. It doesn't say cry not. It doesn't say weep not. Even Jesus wept. The Bible says, fear not. And it's fear that paralyzes us, not grief. The Bible actually says, fear not, 365 times. I feel like that's not a coincidence. <laughs> One time for every day of the year. 
And so if you're someone who's currently going through a tragedy or a crisis, or maybe you've had one in the past that you've just never fully grieved, it's okay, you still can. There's no shame in that at this point. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. If you look here, all of these are active things. When you're passing through, when you're walking through, even the verse, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's not saying you're stuck there. It's not saying wait there. It's not saying sit there. It's saying walk through. Because if you don't walk through, you're going to be stuck on the other side. And it's the walking through that takes you to the side of victory. There's amazing people in this room who have all experienced different levels of tragedy and crisis and, and things of that nature. And I've experienced firsthand how amazing they are in supporting you through it. So if you're currently or in the past ever walked through it, we just ask you, let us pray for you. Let us walk with you. That's all I have.